Chapter 1, Part 2 from the sermon series, Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Clayton Chan. Growing up, we have all these ideas of what we would want to become when we get older. For many of us, we have these dreams about what the future holds. Maybe for some of you, it was to be a fireman. For others, maybe it was a teacher or a doctor. The possibilities were endless. I asked my son, my older son, Weston, what he wants to be when he wants to grow up. Can anyone guess what he said? Any thoughts? Just shout them out. Policeman, doctor, no. Those are great professions, but he did not say either of those. Those are really popular ones, especially when I was growing up. Marvel superhero. Wes knows my son, and he loves superheroes. He loves Marvel, but that is also not what he said. Does anyone have a prophetic voice and can tell me what he said? A pastor? That's only like an answer that a PK would say, but no, he did not. Right? His answer was he wants to be a basketball player. Right? When he said that, all I could do was smile. Because a lot of you guys know I love basketball. And I did not pressure him or train him to say this. He said this on his own. But of course, of course, I took this opportunity and made sure that it didn't go to waste. And so I said, Weston, if you want to be a basketball player, you need to practice really hard. And my son, he needs a lot of practice. (laughs) To be honest, like his younger brother, Wyatt, uh, might even be able to beat him at basketball right now. And he's like two years younger. So I told Weston, you need to practice if you want to get to the NBA. But as a father, it made me so happy to hear him say this. Not because uh, I would love for him to be a pro, which I would, right? God willing. But I loved it because it was just showing me that my passions are rubbing off on him. And nowadays, kids are so different. If you were to ask, the, if you were to ask a kid what they wanted to do when they grew, grow up, you probably hear answers like, I want to be a professional gamer, or maybe a YouTube star, or maybe a social media influencer, right? Times have changed, especially from when I grew up. But regardless of what the dream is, we all think about what we want to become in the future. And I think it points to the fact that we are all just trying to figure out how we fit into this world. We want to know the answer to questions like, Why was I created? What is my purpose in life? Many books have been written about this subject. In fact, the number one all-time best-selling hardcover book is Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life, What on Earth Am I Here For? It's been translated in 137 languages and has sold over 50 million copies. And I think it just shows that people are still searching for their purpose, for their call. But the problem is, in trying to answer this question, we're looking in all the wrong places. We can read all the books written about this subject on purpose, or we can go to mentors and people that we look up to to find out their wisdom. But in the end, only one person, only one can answer that question for you, and that's God. He's the one who's created you. He is the one who knows you intimately, and he knows why you were created. And thankfully, he's told us in his word, in the Bible. So today, as we continue in our series on the Gospel of John, we're going to be taking a look at call and purpose, answering the question, what is our purpose? What is the purpose for our lives? And so if you have your Bibles with, with you, please turn with me to John chapter 1, 
verses 6 through 13. We're going to read John 1, verses 6 through 13. Starting with verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Last week, we were introduced to Jesus, the word that became flesh. Pastor Peter reminded us that Jesus came to help us overcome our dark side. And in these verses that we just read, we're introduced to another person, John. This is not John, the gospel writer, writing about himself. But this is John in reference to John the Baptist. And if you're reading along with us in the New Testament reading plan, you have read Mark 1, and so you know who John the Baptist is. John the Baptist, he was a forerunner for Jesus. A forerunner is a person who announces the coming of someone or something. John the Baptist came to announce the coming of the Savior, of the Messiah. He was born around the same time and was a cousin of Jesus'. John's role was to prepare the way for Jesus, and he was highly successful at it. He drew large crowds, assembled his own disciples, and even King Herod was afraid of him because of how revered he was by the people. But despite all the success and fame, John the Baptist remained true to his calling. He didn't chase fame, power, or influence for himself, but he remained steadfast in his mission in pointing others to Jesus. His message was one of repentance. He was to prepare the way for Jesus by telling people that they needed to repent for their sins. And when they did, he would baptize them with water. And that's why he's known as John the Baptist. But for most of John's life, he was waiting waiting for this Messiah to come. He knew that his job was not, he knew that his job was to introduce the main character and not be the main character. There were times where he was mistaken for the Messiah. People would come up to him and see his budding ministry and say, are you the one that we've been waiting for? But look at what his response is in Luke chapter 3, verse 16. He tells these people, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John understood the assignment. Even though people went to him thinking that he could be the Messiah, he points them back to the one who would come, Jesus. He recognizes that while he could baptize with water, it was only Jesus who could baptize by the Holy Spirit. What made John so effective in his ministry and call to be a witness was that he knew who he was and he knew who he wasn't. Look at John chapter 1, verse 8. 
It says, He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. John knew he was not the light. He was only to be a witness to that light. He had a clear understanding of, who, of his own identity. He was so secure and comfortable with who God had created him to be. He was comfortable in his own skin. Some even thought he was a little weird. Right? He would go around the wilderness, go around the desert, wearing clothes of camel's hair and eating locusts and honey. They saw him as this crazy man. But he lived into his identity in the way that God had created him. He was so focused on the mission at hand, which was to prepare people for Jesus' arrival. John lived out his purpose as a witness to the coming king. How many of us can say that we are living into the purposes that God has for us? How many of you can be certain that you are being faithful to the call that God has over your life? How many of you feel stuck today? You're not satisfied with your job or your relationships or just life in general. I would guess there's a good amount of you who aren't satisfied with life, even though by the world's standards you're successful. You go on the nicest vacations, have great friends, have a secure job, a loving family, and yet still there's something in you where it feels like something is missing. And I believe that's because you aren't living into God's will for your life. Some of you are trying to be someone that you're not because that's who you think you should be. You're so busy trying to be someone else that you cease to be the person that God created you to be. And I think it's only gotten worse with the rise of social media. Now with social media, we see these images of what a happy life is, what a happy uh, relationship is. And so we try to compare our lives with those images that we see. Or maybe it's you've given too much power and influence to others. When it comes to major decisions like what college to go to, what career to pursue, or even who to marry, we listen to our friends, our family, and even to this world. But what if instead of listening to all these other voices, we were to listen to God? If God's the one who's created us, doesn't he know us the best? We can look for identity and purpose in the things of this world, like our careers, our friends, our hobbies, our social status. But in the end, it's only by drawing near to God do we come to understand who we are. And when that happens, we can stop chasing these things that we feel like would give us meaning and purpose. Instead, go to God who's already established it in us. Do you know who you are today? Do you know who you are? God tells us in verse 12. In verse 12 it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. That is who you are. You are a child of God. God has adopted you into his family. He calls you beloved. It's not something that we could have done for ourselves, but it's only through the care and love and grace of God that we've been adopted as his children. That's who you are. You're not your job. You're not your achievements, nor are you your failures. 
Those are just things that describe who you are and what you've gone through. But those are things that cannot define who you are. You were defined by who God says you are. And he has said that you are a child of God. At your very core, that's who you are. And once you understand that, then you can be free to live into your call and purpose. Because for all of us who are children of God, our purpose is to be a witness for Jesus. Right? It's that simple. Your purpose in life is to be a witness for Jesus. Evangelism is a central part of our faith because it's tied to who we are. It's tied to our identity. Because as children of God, we know that we are recipients of his grace and it's our job to extend that same grace to others. Evangelism is part of our faith. It's part of who we are. The gospel is the good news and we are to share it with others and not just keep it to ourselves. We have a part to play in God's redemption. You and I have a part in the story of God's redemptive work. The gospel does not just end with Jesus on the cross, but he's given us, his people, his children, a way to be a part of it. It's to go to others and tell them about Jesus. I love Jesus' prayer for his believers and his disciples and those who would come. In, Luke, in John chapter 17, this is Jesus' prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. And this is the disciples he's talking about. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. All right, think about how amazing this passage is. Jesus is praying for you and me. This is a prayer that he has spoken over you. We may have not existed when Jesus speaks these words, but this is a prayer for future believers, which includes us. We have come to believe because of the witness of the disciples. And Jesus' prayer for you and me is that we would go and show other people, point other people to him. Right? Think about it. This is God's prayer over you. And his prayer is that we will live into our call as witnesses for him. And so how do we live out our call as witnesses? How do we live out our call as witnesses? I have three things that we can do as we live out our call as witnesses. And the first, we live out our call as witnesses when we are intentional about being in relationship with non-believers. When we are intentional about being in relationship with non-believers. There's this tendency for us as Christians to surround ourselves with only other Christians. Right? I'm not sure why. Maybe it's this idea that we need to separate ourselves so that we're not influenced by the world. Or maybe it's just we want to find people with the same values and beliefs as us. And that's important. It's really important to have deep relationships with other Christians. Last week, Pastor Peter talked about the importance of soulmates. We need brothers and sisters who we can repent with and lean on because we are broken people living in a broken world. But the problem is, 
when all of our relationships are with other Christians, we no longer live fully into our call as witnesses for him. In John 1.7, it says, He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. So that all might believe. God makes it clear in this verse that John was made a witness for Jesus so that all people might believe. Jesus didn't come just for the few. He didn't just come for you here at Metro. He came so that he would save the whole world. And the whole world would know it. But is that reflected in the relationships that we have? Are we being intentional about engaging and spending time with those who don't know Jesus? And if I'm going to be totally honest with you, I've failed in this regard. I haven't been doing a good job at being a witness for the world. For me, as a pastor, it's really hard for me to be in relationship with others outside of the church because so much of my time is spent inside the church with people in the church. And so for me, for a while, I've been using this as an excuse. I said, God, I'm just trying to be faithful to your call in my life. You brought me here as a pastor, so I'm going to pastor these people. And so I would use this as an excuse, saying that I'm just being faithful to the people that God has brought into my life. But more and more, God's been convicting me of the error of my, my ways and my thoughts. And he's been telling me, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. He's been telling me that I need to change the way that I think. Because God has given me every opportunity to be a witness for him. It's just that I have not been intentional enough about it. It's not about opportunity, but it's about intentionality. There are opportunities all around us if we just pay attention. I recently started playing basketball again, and as many of you know, like, I love basketball. It's been about like two and a half years since I last played. But uh, one of the people in our church, they actually connected me with some of the guys that, um, are, that live in the town that I live in. And so I've been playing basketball with these guys. They're non-Christians. They're not Christian. They're just uh, middle-aged dads who just want to play basketball. And now that I find myself in this stage as a middle-aged dad, like, I play basketball with them. And so it's something that I look forward to every week. And to be honest, it's not easy because it's not easy waking up at 7 in the morning on a Saturday when I could just be sleeping in or spending time with my kids. But I look forward to it because for me, I see this as an opportunity to evangelize and to witness. And the amazing thing is God's been opening a lot of doors through it. As I've gotten to know these guys, uh, they've come to know that I'm a pastor. So a lot of them now know that I'm a pastor. And so it's opened a lot of just conversations about faith and the church. And as I've been just sharing about myself and what I do, um, we've had these opportunities just to talk about um, just what God is doing here even at Metro. Last October, I was talking to one of the guys. His name is Greg. And I was just sharing with him that some of the things that we do, especially Jack-focused things. I told him that we were having this event called The Open Store where we just wanted to love on this community, Anglewood, and just provide them with things that they might need. And so as I was telling him this, he just was so impressed by it. And he's like, how can I get involved? What can I do to help? 
And so Greg, he went out of his way to figure out what, what, what items were most needed. And he went out and bought these items and he brought them to the open store. This guy was receptive. Greg was receptive to what I was telling him about our church. It just took this opportunity and intentionality for him to be a part of it. God has given us every opportunity to be a witness. I think sometimes we think it's taboo to speak about our faith as if it will offend people or maybe it will make people look at us differently, but people are far more receptive than we think. People need to know about Jesus. It's a life or death matter. People's souls are dying and we have the answer to save them. The first step in our witness is to be intentional about being in relationship with the unchurched. And I say unchurched because we're not just talking about people who don't know Jesus. There's a lot of people who have fallen away from Jesus. As a witness, we are to go not only to believers, unbelievers or non-believers, but also those who may have gone to church before, known Jesus, and have fallen away. The mission field is all around us. Too often, I think we think about missions bound by, as if it was bound by time and space, right? We're going to go for this week or for that month to a place that's far from our home to help and to evangelize and to serve these people. But the mission field is here. It's where you are. It's the gyms that you attend, your workplace, the places you, you visit regularly. That is your mission field. Amen. It's the activities and events that you shuttle your kids to and even your own home. We are to be witnesses to strangers, neighbors, and yes, even our own family members. The mission field is wherever God has placed you right now because we don't get to pick and choose when we reflect Christ to others. Being a witness is a full-time calling. Amen. It's not a matter of opportunity, but intentionality. God has given us every opportunity to witness. We just need to be intentional about being in relationship with non-believers and showing and allowing our lives to speak and point others to Jesus. We are called to be in relationship with those who need Jesus. The second way that we live out our call as a witness is when we embrace rejection and failure. We are to embrace rejection and failure. We need to embrace rejection and failure because more times than not, we're going to be rejected. Right? And you can't take it personal. You can't take it personal when you're sharing about Jesus and you're rejected because it's not about you. If what is keeping you from sharing your faith with others is the fact that you might be rejected, then you are making it more about yourself than God. Some of you hate to fail. I hate to fail. You hate it so much that you'd rather not even try. But being a witness is not about success. It's about faithfulness. You are to live out your call as witnesses, embracing rejection and failure, because that's what it means to be faithful. Being a witness is not about saving people. You can't save anyone. But as a witness, we point them to Jesus who does save. Amen. Look at what it says in verse 8 through 9. It says, 
He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming to the world. And this is in reference to John. John was not the light. He was only a witness to light. John knew that it wasn't him who could save anyone. But he pointed them to Jesus who was the true light and who would make everyone else be able to see the light. It was the true light that would give light to everyone. In the same way, we have to recognize that we aren't Jesus. You can't save anyone because salvation and transformation happen at the heart level. And it's only God who can work in someone's hearts and desires. And that's great news for us. Right? That's really good news for us because it takes the pressure off of us. Our call to be a witness is not measured by how many people come to know Jesus. Our call is measured by how many people we point to him. And I think the very best way that we can point people to Jesus is to actually love with no strings attached. To love with no strings attached. Evangelism is about loving others. It's about loving others in a way that reflects Christ's love for them, which is unconditional love. See, I think nowadays our love can be transactional. We love others hoping that they'll reciprocate that same love to us. Or maybe we love and serve others hoping that it will make us feel good because we like feeling good about ourselves. But there is nothing transactional about God's love for us. God's love is unconditional, and we need to love in the same way as a witness to others. There's this expectation that we have when it comes to evangelism, and that expectation is that that person will convert and become a Christian. That's our expectation, that if we go and tell people of Jesus, that they would become a Christian. But that's a hope of ours. The hope is that they would come to know Jesus and give their lives to him. But there is no expectation when we love with no strings attached. Because in that moment, when we love them, hopefully they're able to see and encounter the love of Christ, and that should be enough. There is no expectation to evangelizing. Because in that moment, all we want to do is to love them so they can encounter God's love. Years ago, when I was in youth ministry, one of the things that we tried to do every month was to serve the community. Uh, one of the ways that we would go and love on the community was to go to McKay Park here in Englewood. So it's like the biggest park here in Englewood. And we just wanted to go and clean up the park. And so I would take the youth group kids with me. We'd bring trash bags. And we'd just walk around the, the park picking up any trash that we found. And we didn't do this to be recognized or to be seen. We didn't do this so that we can tell people about Jesus. All we wanted to do was just to love with no strings attached and just to love on this community, whether somebody was watching or nobody was watching. But of course, as we're doing this, people would take notice. There's one time where there's kids on, a bike, on their bikes and they're just watching us for a while. They're like, what? They just were stands, they like sat still and they were just watching us do this and clean up the trash. And eventually they came over and they're just like, who are you guys? Like, what are you doing? Right? It was so strange for them to see people cleaning up a park that they started coming over and started asking questions about who we were and why we did it. It was so radical for them to see that. And so through those conversations, we told them, like, oh, we're part of a church here in Englewood. We meet at Greco. And at the end, we just invited them. We said, hey, if you want to check us out, come check us out on Sunday mornings. And to be honest, 
I don't think they ever came. Right? I don't think they ever came because I, I would have recognized their face and I, didn't see, I haven't seen them. But that's not the point. The point of us loving the community and cleaning up the park wasn't so that they would come to church. It was simply to love on them and for them to experience Christ in that moment. That's what it means to evangelize. That's what it means to love with no strings attached. There is no expectation that we have for people when we are a witness to them. We just want them to experience Christ. Being a witness is to love like Jesus did. It's not about the end result. We may never see the result of our witness because we don't know what season we're entering into a person's faith journey. In the end, it's okay if nothing comes from it or that we're rejected because in the end, Jesus was rejected. Look at what it says in verse 10. In John chapter 1, verse 10, it says, He was in the world, and this is referring to Jesus. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus was rejected over and over again, not only by the world, but by even his own people. And yet he didn't cease in his mission to be the savior of the world. What if Jesus got so upset by the rejection and failure that he said, you know what, forget it. I'm done with these people. I don't want to be their savior anymore. What if Jesus gave up and Jesus gave in to his feelings of rejection and failure and he just gave up? Where would we be today? Instead, he embraced being rejected and remained faithful to the Father, even at, to the point where he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, and he was just anguishing and, and just trying to just think about what his suffering would come on the cross. He was in anguish, and he's praying to God, God, would you take this cup from me? Right? And the cup was a symbol for the suffering that he would have to endure on the cross. And he says, Father, will you take this cup from me? I do not want to go through this. I do not want to have to suffer in this way. But at the end, at the end of his prayer, this is what he says. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus remained faithful in his call as a savior until the very end. Jesus embraced rejection, humiliation, and suffering on our behalf. And if we aren't willing to do likewise, who are we really pointing people to? Our call to live as a witness for Jesus is a call to embrace rejection and failure because our Savior did. We can embrace rejection and failure knowing that what God calls us to isn't success, but it's faithfulness. To be a witness is to embrace rejection and failure to embrace rejection and failure. That's how we're going to live out our call as a witness. And finally, the third way that we live into our call as witnesses is to live as a child of God. Amen. To live as a child of God. It's one thing to be a child of God, and it's another to actually live as a child of God. You can be a child of God and still struggle to live in the way that God desires for your life. Your identity is not based on what you do, but who God made you to be. 
But being a witness is all about what we do. This is why calling yourself a Christian is so dangerous. For some, it's a term that we casually toss around if we go to church. But as a Christian, we are proclaiming that we are a disciple of Jesus. And that means that we need to live into our identity as a child of God and reflect God by the way that we live and speak. Look at what it says in verse 12. It says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Right? The right to become children of God. John says that to all who receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, professing their faith and their trust in him, they are given the right to become children of God. Right? Did you catch how John describes our adoption into God's family? He says this word become. This word become reveals in one sense that we are already children of God, but there's this other sense that we have not fully arrived and that we're still working out our identity. It's like when you start a new job or get a promotion. Let's say that, that you have been made or promoted to be a vice, uh, vice president as your company. Right? If you've never been a vice president, you don't know what that means. Right? You've, given the, you've been given this title, but you need time to work out, to grow, to learn, and to really live into that role and the title that you've been given. For me, before I became a pastor, I was a teacher. I taught uh, middle school math. And that first year was really difficult for me. I didn't know how to differentiate lesson plans or learning. I didn't know how to write up a good lesson plan. I didn't know how to control a classroom or to deal with needy parents. To be honest, I couldn't call myself a teacher for those first few months. Even though by trade I was a teacher and even though the students called me Mr. Chan, I needed to learn and grow into that role and become a teacher. In the same way, you can be a child of God and still not be living as a child of God. To, be, to live as a child of God is to be shaped into the likeness of God. Children are a reflection of their parents. All right? How many of you vowed never to become like your parents, only to be exactly like them? I know I have. No matter how much we don't want to, in many ways, we pick up on the tendencies and characteristics of our parents because we spend so much time with them. We know them so well. As a child of God, we are to reflect the character of God. But that can only happen if we're spending time with him. The more time we spend with God, the nearer we draw to him, which leads us to becoming more and more like our heavenly father. Children are a reflection of their parents. If we are children of God, we are to reflect the heavenly father. Transformation occurs when we lean into God Transformation occurs when we lean into God, but you're going to have to want it for yourself. God will never force you to do anything that you don't want to do. Yes, he will challenge you and he will stretch you, but it's only you who can choose to be transformed by God. You can be content with being a casual Christian and being satisfied with your faith being reduced to a Sunday experience, but then you lose out on living a life that really matters. As a witness, we are to reflect Jesus to this world. But is it Jesus that people see when they look at you? 
And I'm not just talking about right now here as you're sitting in church. I once had a kid curse in front of me and another kid heard it. It was like, oh, you can't, you can't curse in front of Pastor Clay. And I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up. First of all, you shouldn't curse regardless whether I'm here or not. It shouldn't matter if I'm here. You should live and act accordingly wherever you are. There should be a consistency to your life. Our situation and environment shouldn't change the way that we live and act. Some of you work at very cutthroat environments where it's all about how do I get ahead? How do I um, cut this, this other person so that I can get ahead and be promoted? But what if instead of feeding into that culture, you were like, you know what? Instead of trying to put people down, I'm going to build them up. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to encourage the people who are under me. What a witness for Jesus that would be. Or what about next time you get cut off while you're driving, you roll down the window. Instead of cursing at that person, what if you roll down the window, smiled at them and said, Jesus loves you. Right? That's strange. But that's the point. That would be so strange for that person to see that they would think that you're crazy. But our Savior was a little crazy. Jesus was crazy enough to die for you and me even though we rejected him. What if you allowed your identity as a child of God to shape how you live as witnesses for Jesus? What if you allowed your identity as a child of God to shape how you live as witnesses for Jesus? As I mentioned earlier, before becoming a pastor, I was a teacher. I taught middle school math at IS227 in East Elmers, New York. I don't know why New York people, like, they know, like, those numbers. I don't know what the significance is. But anytime you talk to somebody from New York, they're like, oh, I went to IS this, IS this. I'm just like, I, that doesn't give me any context. Right? But I was a teacher at this school for two years. And it was two of the most difficult years of my life. Because in many ways, it was, it was a period of my life where I was just miserable. Right? I had moved from Boston to this area, not knowing anyone. So I had no community. Right? It was really hard teaching because it was one of those things where I was sort of thrown into. Uh, they gave me a summer's worth of training. And they're just like, all right, here you go. Be a teacher. And so I had no idea what it meant to teach. It was really truly trial by fire. But at the same time, like I had already received my call into ministry as a pastor. And so I was thinking, like, I just want to go and minister. I just want to be a pastor. Like, what am I doing here? And so it was a season for me just to really wrestle with God. And as I was wrestling with God, I just felt like he was saying, this is where you need to be. Stay put. Stay put. And so I said, all right, God, like, I feel like this is what you're telling me. I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to follow through on my two-year commitment to teach in this school. It was really hard. And at that time, I didn't know it, but looking back at it, I realized why God wanted me to be there. And it's really clear with one uh, incident where I was sitting at my desk, I was preparing for homeroom, and then one of my students comes over to me and says, uh, Mr. Chan, like Rebecca needs to talk to you. And so Rebecca was this quiet girl. She didn't like attention. She was always around her friends, but she, nothing about her really stood out. And so I look over to Rebecca, and I, I beckon her. I um, signal to her to come forward. And so she walks slowly towards me. And when she gets to me, I say, 
Rebecca, what's going on? And she just stood there quiet. She didn't say a word. And so I prod a little bit further, and again, she's just standing there. Not a single word. And so at this point, I'm thinking, oh, man, there's got to be something really off or something really wrong if she's not even talking. And so again, a third time, I say, Rebecca, is everything okay? And she just stood there. And after a short period of time, she, like, raises her sweater, and I could see scars running down her arms. Rebecca had been hurting and struggling so much at home and at school that she decided to cut herself. And it was really hard for me to see that. She had been struggling so much that she was hurting herself. And so when I first saw that, I was taken aback and I just, it wasn't something I expected. I had never been in that situation before. And it just broke my heart. And I didn't know how to respond to that. I didn't know how to respond. But what I did know was in that moment, what she needed most was to just know that she was loved. And so I just sat there talking with her and comforting her. I tried my very best just to be Jesus with her. And eventually, I led her to the guidance counselor. It's moments like that where now I see why God wanted me to be there. God gave me so many opportunities to be a witness for him. I didn't shout it out or parade my faith around people. But in small ways, the way that I lived, the way I tried to be a witness, people could see. I would invite the kids up during lunch to just eat with me, and they saw me pray before I ate. When I went to a missions trip to Africa, I asked my coworkers if they would support me and gave them support letters. One of them actually even supported me. I would meet regularly with my supervisor, the math coach, and we would talk about faith. God has given us every opportunity to be a witness for him. But will we take those opportunities? For me, those two years were so, so difficult, but I have such fond memories because it was there where I learned that that's where my ministry started. I learned that you don't need to be a pastor to be in ministry. You just need to be a witness wherever God places you. That was my mission field. You just need to be a witness wherever Jesus places you. Where has God placed you today? Right, think about your home, your workplace, the places that you visit regularly. That is your mission field. Your purpose in life is to be a witness for Jesus in all the places that he leads you to. The opportunities are there, but will you be intentional about being in relationship with non-believers by embracing rejection and failure and living as a child of God so that you can point others to Jesus? John the Baptist was in a period of waiting. He was waiting for the coming king. And as he waited, he testified for, to this coming king. We also are in a period of waiting. We are waiting for Christ's return. Amen. So as we wait, can we be witnesses 
of Jesus. Your charge today and every day going forward is to be a witness for the coming king. Jesus will return. And our purpose in this life is to point others to him until he returns. Will you bow with me and pray? God, we come before you in praise and thanks because we know that we have been recipients of your grace. The good news, the gospel, is not just for us, but it's for this whole world. My prayer today, God, is that you would give each of us a boldness and a courage and a bravery to really speak out the gospel, whether it's through words or just even the way that we live. It's hard, God. I can't stand here and say that it's easy. But the things that you call us to are never easy. But the things that you call us to, you have also assured us and promised that you would be with us. And so Holy Spirit, would you come right now and fill our hearts Holy Spirit, would you come and make us sensitive to your spirit? Will we be sensitive to your spirit, God? Will we hear your voice in the opportunities that you give to us to be a witness? If that means, God, sharing the good news with somebody, will will we be bold in speaking it? But if it just means loving with no strings attached, would we do that boldly, God? I pray right now, God, that as we sit here, that you would place an image in our hearts, in our minds, of someone that we can be a witness to today. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody that we see on a regular basis because of our schedules. Whoever that may be, God, I just pray that you would give us that image right now. And so for that person, God, for that, we were able to imagine. I pray, God, that you would help us to find the words to speak, but also, God, uh, the opportunities just to be able to evangelize and to witness to that person. God, may we hang on to the fact that we were once lost, but now have been found. This world, God, there are so many people who are lost. Would you break our hearts for the things that your heart breaks for, for those who are lost? God, we thank you for the ways that you're just ministering to us right now and the ways that you're speaking. 
We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.